Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Grammar Girl here. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about where you put periods and commas relative to quotation marks. An excerpt from Amon Shea's book, Bad English, about people who have successfully and not so successfully made up words. And a tidbit about what constituted a grammar error in 1921. A few days ago, Daniel from Ohio wrote in asking if I would do a refresher on when to put periods and commas inside quotation marks. It's one of the most common punctuation questions I get, and there's a reason everyone is confused. The rules in American English are different from the rules in British English. So if you regularly read American and British publications, like say maybe the BBC and CNN websites, you'll see it done in different ways. In American English, we use a hard and fast rule that was supposedly designed by compositors to protect the tiny commas and periods. We always put periods and commas inside the closing quotation mark. In British English, they use rules that require the writer to determine whether the period or comma belong with the quotation or are part of the larger sentence. Early champions of this logical system were H.W. Fowler and F.G. Fowler, who wrote the classic 1906 British usage guide, The King's English. In it, the brothers noted that they were in conflict with the compositors, but they believed their system was the best. (laughs) Don't we all? It appears that they won their battle in the UK, but not in the US. In short, my US-centric memory trick is to remember that inside the US, periods and commas go inside the closing quotation mark. If you want to know about mixing other punctuation marks with quotation marks, search my website for quotation marks with periods and commas. That article on quickanddirtytips.com has information about other punctuation marks too. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Before we go on, I have a peeve wars announcement. I've mailed nearly all the rewards from the crowdfunding project, but there were a few people for whom we don't have a complete address and who we haven't been able to reach. Kimberly from Japan, Simon from the UK, Tom F. from the US, Lisa Kaith from Bethesda, and Julie H. in the 80503 zip code. Please check your email so I can send you your rewards. Everyone else, thank you so much again for backing the project. It's been amazing to hear about people playing the game and seeing the photos you've been posting online. I'm working on making the game available for sale, and I'll post an announcement on my Twitter and Facebook accounts when I can send you somewhere. This next segment is from Amon Shea's new book, Bad English. I loved it so much, I'm doing an excerpt this week, and I'm also going to interview him in a couple of weeks. 
Chapter 2, Words That Are Not Words One of the common myths about how language works is that if there is a seeming need for a word, and if one simply thinks long and hard about it and then comes up with a truly fine candidate, then this neologism will stand a decent chance of being adopted into the language. This almost never happens, outside of the realm of scientific terminology, which is obviously a domain populated by sadists with no regard for the language. A rare exception is scofflaw, a word with what may be the humblest possible origin story. It was created in order to win a prize in a newspaper contest. In 1924, a fervent prohibitionist named Del Severe King felt that there was a hole in the heart of the English language as he saw no word that would adequately describe those who failed to observe the 18th Amendment, which banned the manufacture, transportation, and sale of alcoholic beverages. So King ran a contest with an extravagant sum of $200 offered to whoever came up with the best name for a person who in any way failed to abide by the terms of this amendment. Some 25,000 would-be word creators wrote in with suggestions, including Slicker, Patronaut, and Buzhevik. The winning entry was Scofflaw, a rather simplistic blend of two older English words, and it was submitted independently by two people, Henry Dale and Kate Butler. The word quickly took hold, due in large part to the publicity surrounding the contest, which was promoted heavily by the Boston Globe. King tried to continue his role as eminence grice of language. Holding additional contests on such subjects as a new slogan from the National Recovery Association. The winner of this contest, awarded the slightly less munificent sum of $10, was NRA Saves the Day, which obviously failed to replicate the success of Scofflaw. King had had his moment of glory in the furthering of the English language and was forever associated with the word. So much so that when his father, Theophilus King, died in 1935, the obituary announced among his accomplishments that he was the father of the man who gave the world scofflaw. There were many other such contests in the 20th century, few of which had any success. Guycap, which was created to come up with a new word for porter, was the one exception. The EverReady company, makers of flashlights, tried to extend their manufacturing rate to language in 1917 when they offered the astonishing prize of $3,000 to whoever could come up with a better word for flashlight. <laughs> the results of this contest were noteworthy only insofar as EverReady was generous enough to pay the full prize amount to all four of the contestants who sent in the winning word. That word was Daylo. Sometimes the urge is not to create a new word to describe a thing for which there is no existing word, but instead to replace a word that is disliked. This has happened more than once for the word jazz. The same year that the contest was held to find scofflaw, a band leader named Meyer Davis decided that there was a need to replace jazz, which he thought had lost its expressiveness. Approximately 700,000 people sent in suggestions in an attempt to win the $100 prize, which was split between two people who sent in the same word. That word, which has utterly failed in its intended goal of replacing jazz, was syncopep. Jazz was subjected to a recall campaign again in 1949, when Downbeat magazine called for submissions to replace it, offering $1,000. 
In the face of stiff competition from words such as blip and jarb, the word crew cut was chosen and went on to have no effect whatsoever on the language. The success of scofflaw notwithstanding, it remains true that it's exceedingly unlikely that you or anyone you know will ever be able to create a word and see it have widespread use. That just isn't how language works. Although we do frequently see words introduced into language, such as blog, staycation, and innumerable political scandals ending with the suffix gate, such words usually don't survive long and are generally not the result of an individual spontaneously deciding to create a word. Even scofflaw hasn't been entirely successful as it began to change its meaning shortly after it was adopted by large numbers of English speakers. The original meaning of one who does not pay attention to the 18th Amendment is now entirely obsolete. The word is now used to mean one who fails to pay his parking tickets, a person who violates the law. What better demonstration of the English language's ineluctable penchant for change? Even when we create a specific word for a specific purpose, it refuses to be bound by its origins. That is not to say that words do not enter the language by invention. They do, and frequently so. Inventive writers, especially those who are widely read, have had notable success in coming up with words that then become part of our language. Lewis Carroll was responsible for chortle and bandersnatch, first found in Through the Looking Glass. Shakespeare invented large numbers of words, although not really as many as he was credited with. James Joyce had numerous coinages, few of which admittedly have passed beyond the furrowed brows of graduate students, as have Gillette Burgess, Goop, and Blurb, and Winston Churchill, credited with seaplane and undefendable. But these were well-known or renowned authors, and we tend to give wide latitude to such creatures. When new words of less illustrious parentage come around, they typically are met far less welcomingly. If you've pinned your hopes on being long remembered for having contributed some sparkling gem that enriches the language, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. The words in this chapter have all been introduced or reintroduced into the English language in the last several hundred years. All of them were at some point widely scorned. They've seen varying degrees of acceptance since their introduction. The fact that these words, each of which has been labeled at some point not a word, remain in use, illustrates that prognosticating about the future of our language is often a fool's game. And then the rest of the chapter goes on to list many, many words, and I highly recommend this book. That was an excerpt from Bad English by Eamon Shea, presented by arrangement with Peregrine, a member of Penguin Group USA, LLC, a Penguin Random House Company. Copyright 2014, Eamon Shea. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally. First with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar? That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. Finally, this week's tidbit is about a poem Inga Otto from the Leiden University Center of Linguistics presented at the Bridging the Unbridgeable Usage Guide conference in Cambridge that I attended back in June. The poem is called The Alphabet of Errors and was written by Boston schoolgirls in 1921 and submitted to the English Journal by Elizabeth M. Richardson. It appears that each girl wrote a four-line poem about an error that people make with a word that starts with a specific letter. Here are some examples of segments that could still be relevant today. B is for bring, the converse of take, unless you are careful, an exchange you will make. L is for lie, used often as lay, an easy mistake, but cast it away. S stands for seen, misused for I saw. If you don't look out, you'll be breaking a law. W is for was you, a shocking mistake. If you'd study grammar, more care you would take. Equally interesting are the sections that seem odd today. Here are some examples of those. F is for fine, which is sadly abused, for in place of an adverb, tis many times used. Q is for quite, which for somewhat is used. Its sense of completely is thus much abused. Many of the other segments are about mispronouncing words. Thanks again to Inga Otto for making me aware of this fun little poem. It's old enough to be out of copyright, so I'll put the whole thing on a page titled Alphabet of Errors Poem, on quickanddirtytips.com for people who are interested. And if you think you can do better for one of the letters, leave your own four-line poem in the comments. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you know me as Grammar Girl. This podcast is produced in conjunction with Macmillan Holdings, and this week was recorded in the studios at the Reynolds School of Journalism at the University of Nevada in Reno. Fancy, huh? (laughs) As always, that's all, and thank you so much for listening.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Saving money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. 